I remember as a little child in the 70s, Leonard Nimoy would come on, and it would be in search of whatever, Bigfoot, you know, flying saucers, all this strange stuff. You, you know, uh, David and I were talking about it earlier. It's, now you got the whole Discover Channel. Back then it was Leonard Nimoy, you know, and it was always in search of something. Because inquisitive minds want to know, right? For the next couple of weeks, I want to be uh, talking about the Ruach. Something Todd actually brought up some time ago. He, he just kind of popped up a thought. And I'm thinking, you know, this is something I really would like to talk about. And uh, we're going to look at it. Uh, in a, um, today, it's kind of an overview, very, very basic overview. And when I get to the end of this, uh, then you'll kind of know where we're going to go. But the reason I kind of want to also talk about this is I'd like to finish the book of Galatians, okay? Hey, yes, my daughter is so happy to hear about that. And uh, what's fascinating to me, the more I've studied the book of Galatians, is that the Spirit, uh, who the Holy Spirit is and His work, is something that is clearly taught within the book of Galatians, at least as I see it but is uh, not necessarily picked up as clearly by some of the commentators that I read uh, who, teach in the, uh, who teach or express themselves about the book of Galatians. And uh, so I want to kind of preface the return to the book of Galatians with a discussion about the Ruach, HaKodesh, the, the spirit of holiness. And so today is really a very rough introduction uh, just because I want to kind of uh, preface everything with some theology and doctrine. So the first thing I want to point out is this big idea statement, which is going to pop up a few times. Living in the Spirit requires a proper understanding of the Spirit. If there is one area of confusion that I've come across a lot since I became a believer in Yeshua, it's this whole topic of who is the Spirit? Um, Now, some people would say, well, what is the Spirit? Well, the problem with what is that what is is depersonalizing, right? Who is personalizing? You realize that there is a great deal of difference between the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, as he is described within the Hebrew Scriptures, and the force, right? You do realize that. The whole concept of the force, you know, a la Lucas, comes out of Eastern, Eastern thought. You know, you know, whether you're, you know, it's really, it's nothing to do with biblical thought. It's not personal, okay? Whereas the Spirit of God is clearly personal and articulated as such. He is personal. You know, they're not using, they're not using, uh, um, you know, it to describe him, all right? He is referred to as a he in the text, all right? So we're going to kind of, Talk about this, because if you're going to properly understand what it means to live in the Spirit, you need to understand who the Spirit is. Uh, There's just been an awful lot of misunderstanding. Uh, And uh, even in our movement, there are guys that make me very uncomfortable uh, in the way that they express their understanding of the the Ruach, of of the Spirit of God. And so I'm not going to mention any names. That's just, I'm not going to do that. But I want to make sure that for us as a community, we at least have a, a proper understanding in its most basic sense of who the Holy Spirit is and what it means to live in the Spirit. All right? And the first thing I want to do, if you look on the back of your announcement sheet, because on the back of your announcement sheet are always opportunities for you to write notes. I want to talk about 
correct theology and doctrine for a few minutes because, again, this is something that we tend to struggle with. Uh, craziness is something, is often, a word is often used to describe the Messianic Jewish movement, all right? What is the Messianic Jewish movement? People jokingly call it the messy movement because it's messy. And that's kind of a, a funny way of putting it. Yes, Zach is laughing, but it's true. But correct theology is important. Correct theology, all right, which leads to correct doctrine, leads to correct living, all right? Anything short of that leads to craziness, really leads to, leads to uh, ways that take people off the derrick and get them, in, get them in trouble. So, correct theology and doctrine are critical to knowing and practicing the true faith. Theology means, and I want you to write this down, or you can look on the, announce, on the announcement sheet in the back and it's written down for you, and it'll give you a little more information. But theology means the study of God and God's relation to the world. Emphasis on study. How many of you have studied theology? Studied theology. I know Zach has, Rachel has, Eric has, Mike has, because you went to Wheaton and you had to study some, right? Right. Anybody else studied theology? All right. Now, you may, you may think, well, I didn't take like a, a big old three-unit class in systematic theology. I've not studied theology. But, you know, you don't have to take a class in order to study theology. It, it's, it, but it does require study and some, some specific things. All right, if you go to my office, I was showing Amit this yesterday. You go to my office and you can see uh, you know, several volumes of what is called systematic theology, but there are all kinds of theology books. Theology is the study of God, the study of God and God's relation to the world. There are all kinds of opportunities you have to study theology. But most of us, too often, we're allergic to the word study. <laughs> All right? In a few weeks, David Barker is going to be leading a Wednesday night study on, on uh, apologetics, or basically some ideas about how we can... Messianic prophecy, I'm sorry. Messianic prophecy. All right? That is a study. It is an organized effort to understand a particular teaching within, or particular information within the biblical text versus related to how we identify who the Messiah is. It's a study, all right? It's organized. I encourage you to consider how you might be able to study theology yourself. I encourage you to talk to me about it. You know, again, it could be as simple as, would you have a book I could read about theology? And I would say, yes, I do. There are a number of books I can recommend, all right? But I want you to be thinking about this because as followers of Messiah Yeshua, we need to understand more about who God is and God's relation to this world. That requires, though, study, whether on your own or in a formal study like, like what David's going to do or independent study you can do with me or you can take classes online or you can take classes locally. But studying God in his, in his relation to this world is what theology means. Now, I wanted to point out you can see it here. Oh, I'll look in the PowerPoint here. Right, right. Jewish theology, Christian theology. I want to explain something. Um, Jewish theology approaches the whole study of theology in a more simple and focused manner than Christian theology does. And I want to point that out. And uh, feel free to talk to me afterwards if you want to. But when you really think about these two 
approaches to theology, you can see quite clearly they have different understandings. Uh, Jewish theology, very simple, very focused. In fact, the three basic segments, the three basic points of Jewish theology, God, Torah, and Israel. God, Torah, Israel. The study of God is who God is and what he expects from us. Very practical. Who God is and what he expects of us. In Jewish thought, that is all that's really necessary. Okay? Torah, God's instructions to us. All right? It doesn't, it doesn't completely ignore the world. None of this, uh, none of, in Jewish theology, there's no complete ignoring of the greater world, but the focus is on the Jewish people. All right? God's instruction to us as Jewish people and how he expects us to live. And then the last is Israel, who we are to God and our responsibility as God's chosen people. Very simple, very focused. That's Jewish theology in a nutshell. And I have a book by one of the greatest Jewish theologians in the last 50 years. It's about that thick. It's in my office. I showed him it. It was uh, very short. Dr. Byron Sherwin, a blessed memory, uh, who was my professor at Spurtis. Now, when we think about Christian theology, Christian theology is traditionally very complex. Very complex. But, unfortunately, one of the problems, if Jewish theology... Uh, is simple, one thing it obviously has done is completely ignored anything to do with the New Testament and anything that would have to do with Yeshua. Christian theology, traditionally, unfortunately, very complex, but generally replaces, ignores, or downplays uh, God's unique covenant relationship with the Jewish people. Regardless of the Christian group, unfortunately, that is one reality in Christian theology. Or Christian theology. Um, on, your, on the screen, you can see Christian theology, again, complex and expansive. Complex and expansive. And I use that word expansive. I'll give you three uh, terms that are up there. Soteriology, ecclesiology, and eschatology. I just picked those three randomly. All right, soteriology, how people come into right relationship with God. How people come into right relations. It's all about how, salvation. Soteriology is the study of salvation, basically. All right, ecclesiology. Who is God's community of faith and how that community operates? Right? Makes sense. Ecclesia, ecclesiology, the, the study of the ecclesia, the community of faith. All right? And eschatology, what the future will be before and after Messiah returns. All right? These are just three of many different areas within Christian theology to try and understand the scripture, to understand what God wants of us and all the rest of it. All right? And again, uh, Christian theology is usually very thick. Uh, I have a three-volume edition of Systematic Theology uh, and, and a couple of single volumes, and it's just it's different approaches. Now, I'm only mentioning this because in Jewish theology, it is simple, and sometimes it's just nice to think simply. Right? Sometimes we get too complex in trying to understand God. Can you know the mind of the Lord? Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who can understand him? And I didn't write that. It's in the text. But we can seek to study him. All right? And that's the point. Whether you do it simply or you're drawn into more complex study. The point is theology is the study of who God is. The study of God and God's relation to the world. Doctrine is something different. All right, doctrine. This is just second part of correct theology and doctrine. Doctrine <clears throat> doctrine means a principle or position or the body of principles in a branch of knowledge or system of beliefs. 
This is different. Again, if you if you're you know one two look on the on this announcement sheet, there is a completely they're different. Theology and doctrine are different. Theology and doctrine are different. Theology is a study. It's more expansive. There are basic theological understandings that all followers of the God of the Scriptures believes in. If a person holds a, a what I'm going to call an orthodox view of the biblical text, they cannot believe that there is more than one God. They can't. The biblical text, you take it just simply from what it says, it makes it very clear there is only one God. Okay? Only one God. That's a theological understanding. All right? That God is somewhat mysterious is a theological understanding. That God is is relational is a theological understanding. When you get to doctrine, what happens is things narrow down. Things narrow down. My wife, uh, my wife said, "Hey, they're going." She saw this tour advertised. Uh, it's like a Reformation tour to uh, Germany and Switzerland. Okay, and many of you, it's like the 500th year of Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther. All right, and Martin Luther was not the first Lutheran. He was still a Catholic. It was Melanchthon that became the first Lutheran, but that's all other discussion. All right. Martin Luther was a reformist within the Catholic Church. The Catholics believed in one God. They believed in Yeshua, Jesus. All right? They believed in these basic tenets of theology. But a disagreement rose between Martin Luther and some of the other reformists over their soteriology. The idea is salvation by grace through faith, to sum it up really simply. People come into relationship with God by faith alone, not through indulgences and activities. All right? And because of that, there were about 100 years of religious wars in Europe. People were fighting over doctrine. Doctrine, which is the practical application of theological understandings. People were disagreeing about a set of beliefs. Okay? If you really push at, at Catholic theology, Catholic theology also espouses the understanding of people coming to relationship with God by faith, believe it or not, okay? But you see, their doctrines, their actual principles or positions of body of principles, these beliefs, these doctrinal applications were where they were disagreeing, and they were disagreeing, and they were killing one another. They were killing one another about it, all right? Today, nobody does that. Everybody gets along fine. All the Baptists are united. They get together, and they sing hallelujah. Oh, that's not true. There's like a thousand different Baptist denominations. Why? Because they all have the same theology, but they differ on their doctrine, all right? Evangelicalism. They agree on their basic theology. There's disagreement of doctrine. All right, so for some of you, if this is like, you've heard it all, this is not new, then that's fine. For some of you, it's new. And I want you to understand this, because when it comes to uh, understanding the Spirit, we, under, we need to understand that uh, there are variants of doctrines. In other words, sets of beliefs in regards to the Holy Spirit. All right? Some people... Uh, I'm not, I'll say this. Some people believe that the Holy Spirit and His work in our world 
is significantly curtailed compared to what you see in the biblical text. I have a good friend of mine who leads a church on the south side of Chicago, and I told him once about my friends who are missionaries in Africa, about how when they were in Africa, this began about 10, 15 years ago, suddenly they had a knock on their door. A man from Khartoum walked in. He said, I had a dream. God told me to come over here and to see you because you're going to tell me about who Jesus is. <laughs> and I said this to my friend who's the pastor on the south side. He says, God doesn't do that anymore. God doesn't work like that anymore. Well, he holds a set of beliefs. He holds a doctrinal position, which is a bit narrow. Some people believe in what are called the charismatic gifts of tongues and healings and all these things. Some people don't. Different sets of beliefs. No one would say, theologically, that the Holy Spirit is incapable of doing these things. But their sets of beliefs would be such that they would believe that certain things are limited and no longer happening. All right? And so it's important for us to, to understand this, this distinction between theology and doctrine. We have a doctrinal statement uh, to Bar Emmett. The point of the doctrinal statement is to make sure we're basically on the same page. Even within our doctrinal statement, it's hard sometimes to fully understand everything. Right? That's the problem when you have a set of beliefs. What you're trying to do is concretize everything. Everything needs to come down, and now we really get it, and now we're going to live. Sometimes it's a little bit difficult. There has to be humility. There has to be a recognition that we are limited in our understanding. The doctrinal statements, the doctrines, are there to bring us down to a, lower, to, to a level where we can be together and operate together as a community, and have teaching amongst ourselves. Theology, people can sit in a room and talk theology and have completely different opinions about all kinds of stuff, and still sit together at a society of, of biblical literature or, or evangelical theological society or whatever. All right? Now, I want to bring up two examples here <clears throat> uh, in terms of this. we got the Lord Messiah Yeshua's prayer. If you take a, uh, we're not going to look there, uh, but if, if you look at, yeah, we are. Go, turn with me, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. It's very interesting when you, in the, in the first century, rabbis basically were, part of what they did when they would gather disciples was they would set standards and approaches, okay? And so when the disciples go, hey, rabbi, teach us how to pray, <laughs> all right? Uh, Yeshua says the following, therefore pray in this way, our Father in heaven, sanctified be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I'm not going to unpack this entire text. That's not the point. I want to begin, though, with something. He begins by saying, begin your prayer, our Father in heaven. Now, there's a, there is a theological understanding that, that God is one. We're going to talk about that in a moment. 
But it's interesting here when it comes to prayer that God, that Yeshua instructs his disciples to direct prayer to the Father. To direct prayer to the Father. The honest, humble prayer of a believer in Yeshua. Now, I'm going to put it like that. The honest, humble prayer of anyone who's seeking after God gets to where it's supposed to go. Okay? I believe that. If a person is seeking God with all their heart, mind, and soul, even if they're not yet a believer in Yeshua, God's got an ear for them. Okay? Because I think ultimately a person like that is going to become a believer. All right? But in, at the same time, you know, here we have instruction as to proper prayer. And this, I believe, I've articulated. No, it's not. I, don't, I didn't articulate it here. But we're going to talk about this. Proper prayer, I think, doctrinally, really, doctrinally, is prayer directed to the Father, God the Father, in the name of the Messiah Yeshua, the one who has provided atonement through the power of the Spirit of God. People often will pray all kinds of different ways. You know? But I think that we have to understand that the biblical text gives us direction in prayer. God hears the prayers of his children. But what I'm saying, though, is that there is a proper way to pray doctrinally based on who God is and the unique roles within the Godhead. Some of that I want to unpack when we're together over the next couple of weeks. The other thing I want to point out is the Shema Yisrael, Deuteronomy 6.4. Deuteronomy 6.4, we know it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, And when you take it apart, we have to accept the fact that God is a mystery. Dr. Lewis Goldberg, a blessed memory, sat down with me at one point when I was really at a loss as to understanding the whole concept of the Trinity. I remember when I was a brand new believer, this Catholic kid that I worked with uh, said that when he was going to Catholic school, the priest sat down and diagrammed it all out and proved the Trinity. And I'm sitting there as a Jew going, you're crazy, dude. God is not that understandable. And Dr. Goldberg confirmed it. I think he gave great advice. He said, you must understand that God is a mystery. We cannot fully understand who God is. Yet, the biblical text articulates enough information so that we can understand at least some of who God is and how God operates. Right? And so the Shema Yisrael, I think, just simply, I want to just mention, gives us a little bit of help with this. When we understand Shema Yisrael, we understand that the Hebrew words literally mean pay attention. <laughs> pay attention. Listen up, O Israel. All right? Listen to what God says about himself. Listen to him. The second point, Adonai Eloheinu. God exists. God doesn't try to prove his existence. You notice that in the biblical text, God never tries to prove his existence. God is. He exists. And we just need to have him as our God. We need to recognize him as our God. And then the last part, Adonai Echad. God is the only true God. I was meeting with a rabbi this week, and uh, it was a little disappointing because the rabbi, who's a good friend of mine, does not believe Adonai Echad. He would accept that God is a mystery, but he doesn't believe that God, the God of Israel, is the only God. 
believe that? Isn't that amazing? You've got to have correct theology to get the good doctrine. And this guy doesn't have good theology, even though he's a rabbi. We need to recognize the value of doctrine. Now, uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks, what we're going to be doing is looking at uh, the three topics that are listed. The theology of the Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God. All right? Uh, who is he? What is his role? Why is he important to us? I think each of these are important to tackle before we get back into the book of Galatians. Uh, the who is he? Well, <laughs> you know, that's going to be interesting. I mean, it's, it's a little amorphous, a little hard to understand, quite honestly. But it's important for us. How do the scriptures describe him? What is his role? How do the scriptures explain him? Why is he important to us? Why is it important for us to know about him? That's the very, very, all of them are practical, but the last one is extremely practical. That's what we'll be talking about the next couple of weeks. Now, this is the challenge that I have for you. How are you relating to the one true God? First question, how deeply do you know about what you believe regarding your faith? How much have you studied? And again, when I say study, it doesn't have to be taking classes. Are you reading your scriptures in a way that is really, it's diligent? Are you, are you looking at them to understand through them more about who God is? Some of us read the scripture almost like we read a horoscope. Some of us read the scripture like we're reading Dear Abby. Not that anybody probably is reading Dear Abby around here anymore. We need to study the scriptures to know more about who God is. That's deep reading, not surface reading. Try some of that. Try it all. I mean, I, again, d- devotional, simple devotional reading is, oh, God, help me understand more about who you want me to be and how I can apply this. But at the same time, always be looking to read that text to understand more about who God is. How deeply do you know about what you believe? Have you ever seriously studied theology or doctrine? The second question, do you know deeply enough what you believe so that you could defend your faith against an adversary? Mostly today, we are surrounded by people that are very, if it makes you feel good, I'm so glad it makes you feel good. We don't have too many people in our lives that mock us, who harass us, who uh, look for opportunities to try and trip us up in our faith. Maybe there's a person here or there. I got a person here or there. I'm sure some of you have a person here or there. If you've got someone like that in your life, how are you studying the scriptures in such a way that you, can, that you are prepared to give good answers? Sometimes the answers don't matter to the adversaries, right? Apologetics is really for the strengthening of the believer in the face of opposition. Another plug for the Messianic Prophecy class that David's going to teach, all right? But we need to study how deeply enough do you believe and know what you believe. Hopefully, in the course of the next couple of weeks, this study in the Ruach HaKodesh will help answer some questions and really encourage you, because when we really get down to the root of it, the whole point, God has sent the Ruach, the Spirit of God, to live within us as believers, to strengthen us, encourage us, Convict us of sin to teach us so that we might live lives, our lives, effectively for him. Let's close in a word of prayer.
God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word, and we thank you so much for the fact that you are God and that there is no other. We thank you, God, for the Ruach, the spirit that you have sent into our lives, your spirit living within us because of our faith in Messiah Yeshua. Pray, God, as we go through the next few weeks studying your Ruach, that we would better understand who he is, what it is that you have, uh, what, it, what it is, it is his role, as well as how we can better understand him in our lives. So, God, just help us. Help us, God, to be open to learn and to, uh, to be stretched and grown in our relationship with you. We pray all this in Yeshua's name.